0: Hill, it's Album Photo. Annabelle Fly is staying on well, but no photo required. Album Photo is the Magnus Cheltenham Gold Cup. Free caller for the ball. High into the stand. Who's gonna win this one? Breaks around midfield and Michel have been crowned the intermediate Kamogi Champion. Hello everybody. This is Kieran Murphy, the founder, creator, and presenter of the new Across the Four Legs podcast. From Carlo, I am a freelance sports writer. Whether it is match reports, feature articles, news items, or whatever, my topic is almost exclusively sport. This new podcast came from an idea generated on the Higher Diploma in Arts and Applied Journalism and New Media Content course, which I am studying at Carlo College and IT Carlo. I invite you to come along with me on this new venture. I promise the path we take will be an interesting and revealing journey. Before I introduce my guests today, can I take you back to last Saturday in Belfast, when the Ladies Gaelic Football Association voted to prioritise the move to have the GAA, the LGFA and the Camogie Association all under one umbrella. This was following the decision taken by the GAA Congress to initiate moves to integrate the three bodies. The Gaelic Players Association are in total agreement with the move, while it is expected the Camogie Association will also support these moves when their Congress takes place in April. Carlo Intercounty footballer Maria Kinsella is joint chairperson of the Gaelic Players Association. She is very much to the forefront in moving this whole project forward. Maria, if this happens, and there's no reason to think it won't, it is probably the biggest decision all three parties will have taken since their foundation. Would you agree?
1: Yes, I, I'd nearly counter that and say maybe the biggest decision decision was the GA when they wouldn't let women in uh, to play it. But <laughs> following on from that, yeah, like it, it's up there with Rule Forty Two in the GA, if not bigger. I suppose when they opened up Crow Park to yeah. to play international rugby games, but. It's look, we say it often if the GA was set up today, there wouldn't be three separate associations or even four or five with rounders and handball as well. And I think you know this needs to be six codes, one association.
0: We're not just talking about three, but you're after remembering all the others that people sometimes forget. And Rounders is sometimes left out in the cold. And it's very much a family game there where everybody can play at some level or another. And when I think of it, Ballon are very strong. I think Bagels are very strong in Rounders. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you should mention them.
1: Yeah, I mention it because I would have played a lot of rounders myself growing up with with (laughs) Bangerstown. Mary Kern in Newtown D'Eleckney School was a a huge driving influence in in getting people from the locality to play. And and now FENA have their own rounders team as well. So, look, that's what Gaelic Games is, is about. It's a society and community involvement. And if you're not able to play the physical sports, then there's a different outlet
0: there for you. Absolutely, very, very much so. Listen, let's go back then to the, the, the initiative and you suggest the move could start at grassroots level and would take about 18 months. That's a ballpark figure, I presume. You're sort Yeah,
1: of- and look, um, I'm sure there's loads of people who could come at this at different angles and, and different ideas as to where you start. Is it from the bottom up or from the top down? But we have seen clubs leading in this already where And there's about one third of GA clubs operating under the one club model where, you know, ladies football and camogie and and the the GA are under the one umbrella. And and that has worked to, I suppose, varying degrees in different clubs, but largely successful. And I think we, for me, the starting point would be getting all clubs to operate underneath the one club model. Let's do an evaluation. Let's learn the lessons from it. what was successful, what was not. And how can we then apply that to like a county board and your province's structure and then ultimately national level.
0: Yeah, it's fine boggling when you think about going to county board, but we'll come back to that in a few minutes. And then you are saying that maybe you mentioned five years. Is that mm. optimistic or real? Um, or
1: Yeah, like I think there is people who would say I'm uh, naive in saying five years. But, yeah. like, you, you see the GA and you see they're, they're the masters of task force and subcommittees and how quickly they can turn around. Is it football structures and championships or changing the ages of minor and everything like that? So, for me, I don't view this as any different. If you have the commitment and desire from every party around the table to move this along, then I think five years is, is a reasonable yeah. outcome
0: yeah. To, to aim for. You mentioned the difficulties. I'm just thinking Linda Kenny and Carlo here ourselves, you know, she's due to be national president of the Camogie Association. I presume that she would still be president of the Camogie Association, but in what form would that take now if we were to be united? Let's say if if everything was united tomorrow, how would she then take up that role? Yeah, and I I think
1: that comes from, like, I think there's an independent party that needs to come in here, an advisory association as to how you do this in the most efficient and fair manner. Is yeah. it the fact that you have one GA present that now covers the six codes, or do you have subdivision presidency for LGFA and Komobi still that would probably look a bit more like a federation model than, than one association? Yeah. And is that a conversation that a federation model is a stepping so stone to one association like, there's so many ways that mergers and acquisitions can be structured, and they happen in the business world day in, day out. There's experts who who can kind of advise here as the best way to structure the organisation for what everyone's trying to achieve.
0: And look, you bring it back down to grassroots level. You mm. grew up in a family that you were all GM at, all five of you. James, Anya, yourself, your parents integration within the family and you were all going to each other's games but you never thought about it as anything but going to a game it's that's a microcosm of the whole situation
1: yeah i suppose for from a family point of view you might not depending on the club and if they operate a one club model you probably are not even aware that there's three separate governing bodies you know you go and you pay your, your registration to the club and that gets access for all the kids to train underneath the teams and be affiliated but where it does become really evident is probably from under 14 onwards within the girls' games, yeah. whereby your registration could actually be more expensive than what it is for your brothers. Um, and then also in relation to if to play intercounty, your development squads are all completely different. And I suppose the level of professionalism and resources that are there to fund female development squads and inter-county squads is very different than what's there from a GA point of view. And for me, I, you know, came up through FENA playing under 12 and under 14 lads. And I went to under 14 county then. And it was really there that I started to see the discrepancies between myself and James and what we were both getting and where we were training. And that was probably the first real segue and separation that I became
0: aware of. Yeah. And even at inter-county level back all those times, and I was saying to you at the weekend, about. Marion Doyle, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning her name, but she was playing at Michel in, in, in an all-Ireland semi-final. I won't tell you the words she actually used, but they were brought out to a pitch that had a the, the sheep had just been moved on it to let them play. Now I think that day is completely and utterly gone. But that's the difficulties that that you're alluding to, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like from the the two female associations, they probably own a combined total of three or four grounds themselves collectively. Mm-hmm. They are very much at the mercy of GA clubs to allow games to go ahead, and as a result, you might not always be up the to top of the pecking order where it comes between maybe allowing an outside team in to play versus one of their own club teams to train, and then that's just the reality of where you know structurally we are. And I think you know over the last couple of years, we definitely have seen two or three high-profile cases where it has really highlighted the. I suppose the inequality in in access to resources as a result of the structural organisations.
0: Yeah, can you give me an example of one? Or I I want to mind myself. Can you can you think of?
1: Oh, sure. I think the one that jumps out to mind for everyone is bringing Sarsfields and Neil down to Gore to play our Ireland club semi final two or three weekends ago by the Camogie Association. You you look maybe back two years ago, the outfall or I suppose Cork and. Galway semi-final being moved from a frozen Parnell pitch to Crow Park and not being allowed you know, sufficient time to warm up purely because we were just happy and delighted to get into Crow Park
0: Yeah, funny enough I was going to mention that Nadine Doherty who is a, who is a pundit, a media pundit at the moment, she profiled Helen O'Rourke, the CEO of, of the LGFA and at that time, had an Aurora for some criticism. But look, I think the situation sorted itself Was and people sort of came together and agreed to go forward but that match in Croke Park and Parallel Park was one that that was particularly irritating for everybody wasn't it?
1: Yeah I think so I think players in particular felt really let down by their association that day and and look what female inter-county players give is now on a par with what men's teams give and commit and sacrifice to play and for an iron semi-final they don't come around too often and Galway lost that day and you know you look at maybe if they've gotten a a better warm-up 30-45 minutes of a warm-up they would have been Mm. given in Parallel Park would have changed the results. I don't know. Yeah. But in fairness to Helen, she's 25 years as a, a CEO of the LGFA. She has done tremendous work in, in bringing the game to where it is. I think every leader has a different style as to how they approach conflicts or, or maybe dealing with the media. And she, you know, opted to, to not address things publicly. And that, yeah, I think, right was where the disappointment from the players came.
0: That's right. That's right. And funny enough, you know, if you were going from Parnell Park to Croke Park, it, usually that would it would be a huge plus. But it was, I think, it was the time dynamics and the the lack of communication which saw everything happen so quickly. I think that was what really annoyed everybody.
1: Yeah, I I think so. And look, I believe Galway only you know were notified of the the change when they were on the road up, and and Parnell to Crow Park is probably twenty thirty minutes of a oh, twenty minutes yeah. down the road. It's not a massive time, yeah, but yeah. when you have everything so like your travelling plan, your food plan, your warm up time scrutinized to nearly within a minute right. of throwing of the game. Things like that can be off putting, and then to not be afforded a appropriate warm up time in advance of an Iron semi final to just allow a men's semi final to go ahead. That could have been easily pushed back by 15 or, or 20 minutes. There wasn't even crowds to factor into the decision that day, Sorry. they were both yep. behind closed
0: yep. doors. Yep. So.
1: Yep. I think that was disappointing. But look, things have moved on. Everyone has progressed. And, you know, you are now seeing National League finals, National League semifinals taking place in Coal Park. And, you know, they seem to be building on it year on year. As to how much they're actually allowed in to play, and then that's good. And double headers are progressing things, but you know all those efforts are needed to try keep keep the momentum
0: up. And you talk about everything moving so, so quickly now. You've got fifty six, sixty thousand people attending a ladies all in football final, and now you have me making the breakthrough taking on the likes of Dublin and Cork in particular mm. and like that was massive and it's, it gives people hope going forward that other counties can break through and I'm thinking of maybe the likes of Westmead at this stage who can't be that far off. I think they used to fancy themselves always beating Mead but, but but now Mead are all Ireland champions so they've set a huge standard for everybody coming behind them.
1: Yeah absolutely and it's been great for the game like it's given so many teams returning to pre-season this year actually hope and believe that they can transition from, from one grade to the next and ultimately get to win in a senior iron final And for me that the following that meet have built up in such a short period of time like they had a a double header in their men's and females football county final and you know there was a huge crowd out there watching the female county final as a result of what the county team has achieved and it just increased the profile of the game done the club went on a good run in the iron semi-final more and i the ultimate winners after probably a very poor performance on their side and you look at five thousand in, in park Talton on last saturday for a dublin mead national league game round robin it, they were both true it was just deciding where they go through as one or, or two in the group so okay. it's definitely added a different dynamic and i think ladies sports needs those rivalries and those close encounters and those good stories to propel yeah. it
0: yeah this we've drifted away a bit from the integration we've talked about the, <laughs> yeah uh, you know the, the how the the positives in in, in the oh. game, but what worries you? Going no, I tell you what I ask you: the IRFU and the FAI are all under the one the one body. Yeah, is it fair to? Is it fair to compare what the, the three bodies we, we call it three for the moment. I know you're talking about six six different organizations, but let's say mm-hmm. is it fair for the Camogie, the LGFA and the GEA to be compared to the FAI and the IRFU?
1: Um I I think you'd be silly not to perhaps learn lessons that the IRFU and the FAI have maybe stumbled or fallen upon within the, the treatment of the ladies' games and Maybe ensuring that within the one association that we're moving towards, they're not repeated. Last week, there was a lot of news on the Turkey recommendation, the report not being published as a result of the IRFU. And, and really where, you know, a group of players had to come together and really stand up and say, this is no longer good enough yeah. to... Yeah to achieve change and look it's not that long ago that there was the FAI national soccer team and there were stories about changing tracksuits and bathrooms flying to international games and look hopefully those days are, are now behind us and we're all the sport and women in sport is moving on but there is definitely lessons to be to be learned from them and I think, you know, just because you're under one association, it doesn't actually suddenly solve everything. There's a lot of, I suppose, substance needed to behind to to prove that the value and the equality within that one association.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is is there anything that worries you going forward? I, I'm just thinking, for example, and you, you mentioned to me about county board and, and national structures and trying to trying to get them all thinking from the same hymn sheet or talking from the same hymn sheets. Is there anything that worries you?
1: I suppose it worries me now that like on the on the these motions passing, are we actually going to see action? Are we going to see uh, I suppose to find timelines and key milestones and how this is actually going to be achieved or is it just going to sit for another 12 months and, and nothing's going to happen I don't think so I think the momentum is too strong and the, the public narrative is too strong now for the, the three associations not to be held accountable in some regard and moving this on but as to how we do it and how we move towards one integration and that does worry me there's a lot to be you know resolved and fleshed out as to how we go about it like you take Carlo County Board there you know, the men's GA, you're now bringing in the LGFA and the Camogie into one. There's a there's it's going to be fears on all sides of the table there as to what they might lose or have to give up to be one county board. And there's also, a, I suppose, a significant fear of maybe losing volunteers or, you know, is it losing finances that, you know, they're going to have to be deployed with, across the female game now. The female um, county boards could be fearing the loss of their voice within a one combined county board and how it would be valued. But I think there's a lot of protection mechanisms you can build into the Constitution or how you structure it so that those fears on all sides of the table can be alleviated.
0: OK, OK. Yeah, I'm just from a personal point of view for yourself, you have a busy job, you've, you're an accountant, you're, you've been heavily involved in club and county for years, the GPA now. Where do you get the time to do all?
1: Okay. <laughs> well, I, I probably have a bit more time this year because I'm now a former Inter-County player. Yeah,
0: I hate so, to you like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, so look, the time, yeah. Look, I, I just have a huge passion for it under the GA. I, like, I don't know anything different from being under 12 or under 14. I've played on multiple teams. St. Fortunes was very much a small club where players had to sit on the executive to drive things on or to fundraise or to go to county board meetings. And that's probably how I... I naturally fell into it, is that I was being exposed to going to county board meetings from a young age or trying to figure out where we're getting funding for new gear or new jerseys and things like that. And that kind of transitioned across the DCU then and now to the GPA. But look, there's enough time in the day if you want to get something done. It is a balancing act at some stages of the year. Work are hugely supportive, obviously, and it wouldn't be possible without their support. And, you know, they're very keen sponsors of the GA All-Stars and the Player of the Winter Awards as well. So they're used to me probably nipping out here and there during the day. But, you know, I make it up to them in other ways or, or make up yeah. the hours. But it just comes down to a balance in that. And, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it.
0: Absolutely. And how do
1: you relax? How do I relax? Uh, if you said to me this weekend, I came home from uh, LGFA Congress and I, I watched back Dublin, the Dublin Mead game because I missed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, no, look, I, I probably have varied interests outside it. Um, it's not just GA. I love rugby and tennis as well. Probably all sports related and just catching up with friends and family. Yeah, it,
0: it's probably just a very low-key
1: relaxation then when you're switching off.
0: Yeah, what do you think of Djokovic and uh, the Australian Open?
1: Um, Yeah, I think um, I was delighted to see Nadal come win the the 21st Grand Slam. It's great to see one of them kind of breaking away and doing it. Hopefully he'll do the same in uh, Roland Garros as well. But look, Djokovic stood by his beliefs. I I, I don't really, he's not someone I would admire. I think, you know, first of all, his event during COVID where everyone got COVID was a little bit irresponsible when you're such a high profile sports star. And your personal beliefs are your personal beliefs, but when you're putting other people in danger, I think you have to take personal responsibility there and and doing interviews two or three days after being diagnosed with COVID just wasn't safe for the right thing to do. I think it's going to be interesting whether he goes back to play Australian Open or whether he's even been allowed. I think he might have a three-year ban, but I think what will be interesting is probably Wimbledon. I think that's probably the the tournament where he's on an even par with Nadal and if they get into a, a semi-final or a final, but yeah, I think with being a high-profile sports star, so there's a level of responsibility that comes with it.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking of of the All Ireland Ladies Final um, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. I was up, and I think Jonathan Murphy was was refereeing the final that That's day. Yeah, Rowan Jonathan and I had a particular interest in that, and Jonathan is very supportive of the ladies' game at national level and uh, and within the county. But coming out of Croke Park that day, I could hear the, the girls celebrating on the pitch, walking down the George's Road. The place was silent, it was eerie. And you talk about responsibilities, and the GA have shown the responsibilities, and they were leaders in, in the whole um, COVID uh, situation, weren't they? Mm-hmm
1: yeah i think you know one of the the great things and benefits about the ga is that it stems into every community and village if what's often described as the irish rural village is your shop your church your school and your ga pitch and just how they're able to access so many communities and for players to stand up and be role models and for clubs to help the community element out of it it's just a sporting organization that nowhere else across the world would be able to do what it did for communities like what she did for for COVID and they they took it in a very pragmatic view as well calling off games and I think they did they made all the right calls for all the right reasons um, your favorite soccer team
0: you have a soccer team we talk about relaxing that kind of you stuff. know
1: what it, it's probably one of the sports I watched the least of I just can't yeah. get in it I'm um, yeah, like I, yes. um, I've um, i started watching a few, I suppose, of the Irish women's national games recently on the back of, you know, things progressing there, or I'd watch Ireland in the, the qualifiers or things, but on a domestic scene, like I'd watch Wexford youths maybe in, if they're in, they've even the cup final, Kylie Murphy and... I was talking to Kylie, Kylie
0: yesterday, she was asking me why did, didn't I put the two E on together? <laughs> I, said, I said I was struggling to get used to this podcast idea and one to ones-ones are, are my strength at the moment, or maybe they're not a strength, but that's what they are at the moment. Yeah. Well,
1: look, uh, myself and Kylie know each other well. And she's been a look, she's a phenomenal soccer player and has been a great ambassador for, for Carlo soccer scene and is definitely a, a role model for a lot of young girls within the county for what they can achieve on it. And the same for Lauren Dwyer. Um yeah, but unfortunately soccer just hasn't been the premiership just hasn't been something that grabbed me. and um, I just don't, I don't follow it.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And who inspired you growing up or who inspires you still?
1: Um, I suppose I've had I've been very fortunate that I have a, a number of different people and from different sports. And um, one that obviously jumps to mind is Neve Dobbs. I remember going, still remember going to Carlo games when I was very young and Neve was playing. And this was Carlo Games where Carlo were playing Mayo in Division One of the National League or watching Neve play against Angie McNally of Dublin. And to have her as a role model, like she she would have coached me under 14, county and club with the late Jenny O'Neill. And they were two role models that were phenomenal for me. I didn't even realise it was unusual to have female coaches or managers. I just from, because I had them at an under 14 level, it was just the norm. I didn't even think anything differently of it until I got older. And that was a a privileged position I was in as a result of of their commitment. Then I suppose, look, nationally, everyone remembers Sonia um, O'Sullivan. You you remember the TV being wheeled into the primary school classroom. You remember the success of Michelle Smith. Like, it didn't really matter the sport. I suppose female role models were probably so few and far between that you grasped onto anything you could have. And yeah. um, when you were growing up, um, but also had a, a number of, of male role models as well, you know, a lot in the club, Moorish Brick did an awful lot um, to inspire, I suppose, my love of GA in Newtown Donechny, uh and um, the late Liam Nolan as well and, like, they're the first people who bought football in my hand and, and got me into the, the local club and they're the first people as well that got the family into the local GA club. Like dad would have been involved in GA, probably growing up himself, but didn't become heavily involved until we started going to Newtown School. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's been a lot of strong uh, role models, both locally and I suppose at a national level that you look up to. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. This is not a sadder note. And um, I don't know if you heard, Tommy Murphy rang me yesterday. Tell me about the passing mm. of, of Eamon Dowling. Did, did you hear about yeah. that? Yeah, like I did, did, yeah. talk about you talk about the GAA and clubs and everything. I think there was hardly a game in the county that Eamon uh, there was certainly not a, a ground in the co- in the county that Eamon didn't steward at. And I remember traveling to games with him up and down the, the country. He was a, a GAA supporter, Carlo GAA supporter in particular, true and true. And it's very sad that that he passed away so suddenly, isn't it? And I'm sure you want to extend sympathy to to everybody in carlo ga and his family
1: yeah absolutely it's a very sad time for his family and just what a service he's given to carlo ga like it's been huge like people might not recognize his name but once he showed the face or the photograph of him they'll know him from the the turnstiles and there's very few games being in dr cullen or in the the training center of excellence that you'd go to that you wouldn't see him supporting carlo and it wouldn't matter if it was a Carlo team, a senior team, an under 12 team, boys or girls, whatever club, he just wanted to see Carlo GA do well. And it's a huge loss for his community and for the county, but more importantly, his family.
0: Yeah, he's the epitome of the GA and everything that you alluded to back earlier on.
1: Mm. Yeah, like he's just been a man that has given his life uh, to GA and Carlo GA.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I don't think we. Too much to say. Unless there's anything you want to tell me yourself, we we can leave it at that.
1: No, that's that's good with me.